I think some people will have problem with what I did because my goal is for the animal to, at the end of thing, to have the right enclosure. So if a client buy an animal and say to me, I'm ready to put the money to buy the full adult size enclosure, even if it's a baby of the year, I'm gonna go with it. I know that not everyone agree with that, but I found out that when you do that. Welcome back to the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan Perrin, and thank you so much for tuning in today. Today, I'm speaking with Marie Lavigne, who is the owner of Kenoha Reptiles, as well as works at Exotic Addicts, which is a reptile store in Quebec. She works there with her boyfriend, Joe, who actually has started the store a few years back. We cover a lot in this episode. I think some of the main key takeaways are how to communicate with people in the hobby, how to push people forward in their husbandry in a nice way and actually, you know, make improvements for the animals without creating these walls that we're so, you know, classically used to in our hobby. Marie also gives us some really good pieces of advice as far as how to create snake breeding tubs that work as good transitions into larger enclosures. So obviously they're a reptile shop, they're breeding snakes. How do they take those young neonatal snakes and get them to start eating while simultaneously incorporating enrichment into their life that will allow them to have success long term as a pet? I think that's some some really key information. And we also discuss what it's like to work full time in the reptile industry. I think it might surprise some of you. I think Marie is very honest in this episode, and and as far you know, she obviously loves her job and and is passionate about what she works at, but. I think there's a tendency in our hobby to sugarcoat things and just it's it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows when you're working with animals and it's really important to understand that if that's something that you actually want to do to hear someone honestly talk about it say yes, these are the amazing parts about it but here's the work that also needs to get done that, you know, you have to do in order to be successful. So, I think it's it's a fantastic conversation for that and let's just jump into it. Enjoy. Well, Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for doing this. Thank Thanks to you, I was so excited to do this. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's awesome. We, obviously, we met uh, I guess oh, two years ago now at the Canadian Reptile Breeder Expo, yeah. and, and you and your boyfriend is where I got my Japanese rat snake from. And so we yeah. kind of you know, and then we also ran into each other again at the last expo as well. So it's been fun kind of getting to know you just in that in that setting. And I know there's some really interesting topics that we wanted to cover today. So why don't we just uh, let, let's hear your background a little bit? How did you get into keeping reptiles? Have you been doing this for a long time, or is it something that you came across more recently? It's more recently for me. I think that surprised a lot of people because I'm so into it right now. But mm-hmm. I'm mostly a girl that loves animals a lot. So I have a big background in the animal industry. But reptiles, I came across when I was younger, like with my brother, we got a couple of reptiles, but nothing serious. They were wild cuts. They didn't last long. It was not necessarily a good experience with those animals. But um, later in life, I decided to adopt a gargoyle gecko. Mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like, that's a cool animal. That was four years ago. And I got my gargoyle and I stepped into Exotic Attic to buy some Heisabod. And then things just... Wow. So yeah. I, I want to hear more about that story, but just for people listening, that now reptiles is your full-time job. You work at Exotic Attics, obviously. So that's, yeah. you know... Quite often on the podcast, we talk about, you know, you get the one animal and you slowly progress and then suddenly you have a room of animals, but you've kind of taken it to the extreme by starting with an animal four years ago. And now it's like every waking moment of your life, including your paycheck comes from reptiles. Yeah, yeah that's pretty crazy when you think about it. And what's cool is that everyone around me knows, knew that I will someday live from animals because I'm an animal trainer. I did work in veterinary industry, uh, grooming things like that and but reptiles was unexpected like Mm -hmm. people were like oh you have one reptile oh now you have like six oh now you work in the industry now 
Yeah. 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 So did you, was it mostly horses that you were working with before or were you kind of involved with lots of other animals? Um, horses is my main patient. So I started very young. I got my first horse at 15. Uh, I did competition. I did like take lots of classes, training with uh, some trainers and everything. And I learned a lot about animal behavioral with that, but I never wanted to work with horses because horses are so custy, you know, make a living from horses is very hard. And I realized that's very young. So I did go take my course in animal training when I decided that my university study was not for me. Mm. So I did that, uh, that class. It was two months on a zoo. And I trained lots of different animals and I learned that pretty much all animals work the same way when it's for learning. Mm-hmm. And then I did train dogs and work in the dog industry to find clients and things like that. And then I did go back to university in marketing that time and that was more successful to, to me. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I, you may have heard me talk about it on the podcast before. I'm not sure. I, I've, I'm always amazed at how many reptile people started with horses. Like, there's, there's so many people who have this passion for horses, and it's moved over to oh, reptiles. Yeah. I have no idea why that is. It's just, it's just interesting. So then, so you, you picked up your first gargoyle gecko, and what was the transition as you, like, how did you get get wrapped into doing this as a career? Uh, it was because I was still t- studying in marketing, and it was around COVID. Mm. And yes, yeah, so I got the gargoyle. I step in exotic attic. I met Joe. Uh, he was looking for someone to work there because he was just starting. The The store was so empty at that time. When I think about it, it's so funny. And I was looking at it and I was like, wow, that's everything I was looking at online. It's like those things exist because I was just I didn't know no one from the hobby. So like mm-hmm. stepping in a reptile shop for me was like a revelation. So Joe talked to me. I talked to him about my experience in marketing, what I did before, like that I work with animals and, and was like, do you want to work? I was like, yeah, yeah. I lost my job as a bartender because it was COVID and I need a bit of money because I'm at school. So I started to work at Exotic Attic part-time. That's amazing. So, so how long, when did Joe open that store? Uh, it was, I say four years, but it was three years ago that he opened the store. So maybe I got the gargoyle a bit before that. You know what I mean? Okay. So when you bought that first gargoyle gecko, it was pretty early on in his store, like as opening it. Yeah, it's, it was just open. Like I got the gargoyle and a couple months after that, he just opened. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But I can totally relate to that experience of, you know, you're wanting to get in reptiles. So you end up looking at pictures and things online and reading forums and going on Facebook, but you never actually see the animals in real life because you don't, you know, you, unless you go to an expo or to an actual specialty store, yeah. it's just seeing that. And then you see them in person and it's a, such a strange experience. Like, Oh yeah. The, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to put it into words, but I can totally relate to that experience. And all the setups, all the, the lights and like, because when you study that online and you have no experiences that that seemed to be a lot and seeing Joe that is like, yeah, that animal needs this, 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 and this. And I was like, how do you know that? And now I'm the one doing that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you started working there as a sales associate or I guess just helping manage the store. And uh, I was more because at first the store was not like that busy. Mm. And Joe was doing mostly uh, wholesaling at that time. So the store was there, but it was more like taking care of the animal uh and I help him with like the contabilit no accounting. Yeah, in, in English it's accounting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, things like that. So I I started just like cleaning enclosure. Mm-hmm. 
And at, at that point, did you start to see like, maybe this would be something I want to sink my teeth into as a career? I started to think about breeding at that time because I mean, seeing Joe breed animal and everything was very nice. And I had my male gargoyle gecko, so I was like, oh, maybe I should get a female gargoyle gecko or something like that. And I was very fascinated by the Felsma grandis. I've been breeding them now for two years, I think. So I got my Felsma grandis in that year, maybe, and I started to bring breed eventually so that was just like oh that can be something i can do like part-time breed at home uh, take a care in marketing because i mean jobs are good in my what i do in life what i was supposed to do yeah 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 so yeah i was like it's gonna can be a nice hobby to to just do but um it took a time before that gets very serious i mean i started building my my breeding at home I was trying to get species that Joe didn't have mm-hmm. because, I mean, I was working with Joe animals. So it was like, why will I get the same as he has? And I think I'm a bit um, a person that likes to go in the other sense than the others. So I was feeling that I was doing that by buying the animals that Joe didn't have. And at that time, um, because what you have to know that it's complicated right now to think to me is I stopped working at an exotic addict in the between of now and that time that we are talking about. Mm. So maybe I did like eight months at Exotic Addict because in the summer I got a job uh, in a city as a, I'm looking for the word, it's secretary, but that's a bit more than secretary, the the name of the job. Like administration assistant or something like that. Exactly. So I got that and it was way more money than Exotic Addict. So I said to Joe, like, sorry, but I need to to take that job and it was very nice. And then I just go hang out at the shop just for fun with Joe and the people there. So that was a period of time too that existed between like my full time now and that moment now. And gotcha. yeah. So at that time, then you were kind of starting to do your own breeding projects as well, obviously to kind of keep the yeah. reptiles as part of And so is that when you kind of started your own business as well? Like your breeding? Kona like, reptile, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that how you say it? Kona? Kanoa, yeah. Kanoa, It's Kanoa, uh, from okay. Naruto, the anime. Yes, okay, gotcha. Cool. So all the geckos have names from Naruto, so it's like a concept of mine. Cool. But and, it's funny because I had a big idea of how my, the people will uh, know me in the hobby with that kind of reptile thing. And then I got into exotic addicts, so my my marketing of myself just got mixed up. And I'm like, okay, that's all right. People don't know the anime thing, but that's very okay. Yeah, because we kind of see it as this uh, one and the same almost, right? Exotic addicts and Kahuna, are, 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 you know, you guys are part of the same. Like what we always see at the expo working together, obviously. And, you know, yeah. so, so do you, were you able to start bringing in, rep, uh, you know, geckos and whatnot into your own breeding business that you were able to, you know, sell to, to Joe to offer exotic addicts, animals that he I wasn't carrying? I don't sell to Joe. I sell by my own. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So I sell at the expo, I sell online, and now I think I'm going to start to sell to Joe because Exotic Addict takes too much of my time to be able to make uh, time for like advertising my animal of Conor Reptiles, so it's going to be more practical to sell them in the store. So mm-hmm. I met the client there, so that's like easier. It makes sense, But yeah. I was very independent at the beginning. When I started dating Joe, I was like, I don't want... 
in fact, I don't want it what's happening right now at that moment. I was like, I don't want our things to be one thing for people. I want to have my own thing because mm-hmm. I don't know, couples or days are not always working out. So I was like, I don't want to lose my place in the hobby. That was what I was scared about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, can you list off some of the species that you do work with? Yeah, I have the Felsmograndis, the Gargles, the um, Chameleon Gecko. Mm-hmm. I have Agricoli and the RD. I have um, many species of Strophorus. I don't actively breed them for many reasons because when I tried to, it was more difficult than I intended. And this year I decided to enjoy my animals rather than be like focused on breeding because like... I realized when I was very focused on breeding and making the action to make sure the animal breeds and like searching for eggs and being like very consistent and those things, I was less enjoying taking care of my animals. It was stressful, like, oh, okay, do I have, is is this working? Is this, and I'm doing that at Exotic Addict. So I was like, why do I, I have that, all those cool animals at home if it's again work for me? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, exactly. Once you start to have to really pay attention to, you know, different parameters and temperatures and, you know, looking, like you said, looking for eggs, it becomes a different thing than just in the enjoyment of watching the animals, right? Now you're worried yeah. all the time and you're trying to make sure things are correct. Yeah, and I have couples geckos that need cooling to breed properly, like all my Australian species. I have the nuptail, the struffers, the velvet gecko that needs that. And the thing is, if that's been two years that I wanted to do a cooling, but every time something happens in my life and I'm like, I don't have the time to do that properly right now. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling like I was failing, not doing it, you know? And then I realized that, is it so important to breathe or just talk about my animals, get the experience, have fun with them? Is it okay for me? Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. where I'm at and like, in the expo, I'm seeing so much YouTuber that just enjoy their animals, show what they do with their animals. And I'm like, maybe that's something that I'm more in sync with, like having animals just to take good care of them. And if they breed, that's perfect. But being the, the main reason to keep animal when it, they are in your arm and it's your pets, I don't know. I yeah. I just think it's stress on top of everything I'm already doing. Yeah, yeah, it can sort of drain you as far as the enjoyment goes. And so, do you keep your animals at home? Like, are all the geckos in, in your own home, or, or do you keep them at at the store? I have couples animal at the store right now, just because like quarantine thing and sure things like that. But most of my personal animals are in my home, and that's why for me, Kona and Exotic Addict are very separate because yeah, yeah. Like the thing is, our living room is actually the reptile room. And Joe is fighting so hard to have some place into it, to have some animals of his own at home because I'm taking all the place right now. And yeah, he's, he's struggling just to get a couple of things of himself in yeah, the, yeah. the home. That's funny. When you were talking about potentially, you know, cooling the, the Australian geckos, had you, had you thought of a plan of how you were going to do that? I'm just curious. Yes, um, because there are different techniques like, like I, I learn about. Some people just will... Gradually, gradually, gradually take the light yeah, yeah. down, like yeah. the heat, the like how many amounts of time, etc. You can do that like that, just and then go to what you are and A- thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, aiming for. Thank you. 
Or the other thing is you can go further than that and very cool low temperature, you know, like because room temperature without lights, it's already cooling for a stratophorus, but you can go like lower than that. Uh, in Europe, they do that. So I was like, do I want to do that? Because Joe is cooling the colubrid at Exotic Attic. Mm. Uh, I'm in Celsius, so it's like it goes to 14 Celsius. Mm. I, I have my little chart Fahrenheit. for our American listeners. That's like 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, so equal at that temp, that's too cold for the surface, but still don't know how. So I was like, if I want to go cooler, we can do that. But at first I wanted to do the first kind of cooling and then maybe do that kind of cooling if I talk with people doing that kind of cooling. But yeah, at first I wanted to do a simple cooling, just light stuff, less heat, just uh, UVB in the day, but like less longer than usual, things like yeah. that. But full cooling, I'm scared about it. Even with the culprits, you do it every year. And every time I'm like, it's so crazy. We don't feed the snakes. I feel so bad when you, we do it. Like, And I cannot go see my snakes. But it's not my, but I mean, I have some snake at exotic addict that I love. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, it's like, you cannot handle them, Mary. And I'm like, yeah, but but I'm used to. I like that one. Why cannot? But yes, yeah, I find it hard on, on me to just like, let the animal alone, don't feed it, just, it's for my, I think it's something many people in the OB like, meets the time when you realize that reptiles are not like us mammals. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. For mammals, the idea of not eating is very strange. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it can be hard to process. You're like, really? You're not going to eat for three months? Okay, this is like, you, you, yeah. you, do, you do feel bad, for sure. But it, this is what we call... Um, I'm so I don't know the word in English, but it's anthropomorphism. Yeah, anthropo anthropomorphizing them. Yeah, exactly. That that's what we do, and that's something I like about me and Joe because being more in the animal industry than the reptile one specifically, I have all of those feeling about animals that sometimes reptiles people are like, yeah, but reptiles are not like that. But that's make me closer with the customer. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 When they do things with reptiles that are not like making sense for reptiles, but making sense for any other animals, I, I have lots of empathy for them. Like, yeah, you want to do good, but that's not good for that animal. So, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 they come in and they're looking for like a slightly different pet experience, something that they might have had with like a cat or a rabbit, for example. Uh, and, and yeah, so they come in with a sort of a different understanding. And where people who are just reptile people can be cold isn't the right word, but they but they see them in a different way. It's not you know, they can understand that maybe the animal doesn't want to be pet all the time and things like that. Um, what, how, how does Joe cool the room? Does he just, I mean, I know you guys are in Quebec, so it gets cold in the wintertime. Does he, yeah. what does he do? He used a window, like oh, we okay. close the door and we let the, but I think uh, it still keeps some heat in the enclosure. Gotcha. The underbelly heat, he take, he, he still keeps some quantity of that to make sure that if the animal is very chilly, you have, that's available, but the room is very cold. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. With the window, we are able to do that because in Quebec, outside, it's very freezing. Yeah, it's uh, minus 28 in Manitoba this morning when I was walking to my car. So that's a little too cold to have the windows open, but but it does make it easier. You're not having to I like, mean, he open and close depending on what he needs. Um, For sure, yeah. Honestly, Joe is doing so many things that I'm like, because with Exoticatic, like, I took more and more place in the company with times. And at first, I was just doing the marketing and taking care, take of the, 
taking care of the clients and things like that. But eventually I had to put my nose into the breeding part more. Mm-hmm. Like this years, I was I was the one doing the pairing for the Cresties, the Gargle, and the Leos. Okay. So I did all the pairing and exotic attic for those species, and I have uh, Excel files with all this, with this, how many eggs, and everything. So that was my first year managing that part of the exotic attic. I don't think I'm gonna do it again because me and Joe just had a meeting saying that we split things too much like that in our task and right now we need to like separate more clearly but it was fun to just like be the one taking the decision for part of the breeding yeah yeah but that must be a challenge right because it's a relatively new business like you said it's only a couple years in and you know you're both new to it in a way even though you've been doing it for a few years it's just learning how to run the business efficiently you have to know that you always had a reptile business. He just mm, sold okay. his part to his partner. He was the owner and the uh, founder of MSR, mm, MSR Emporium, okay. that is a wholesaler. So he did like, I don't know at what age he started, but Joe has been in the industry for like all his life. So he had the experience on that gotcha. matters. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He, well, he's pretty young. I guess he's been doing it since he was in, probably in his early he's teens, I guess. He's still 36. Oh, is he 36? Okay. He looks young. There, so you can tell. Joe he looks young. Right? We yeah. look young. I mean, I'm going to have 30 on the 2 February. So I don't I don't think I look 30. No, no, not at all. So that's why maybe it seems like you guys have less experience considering yeah. how you know, you're know you younger than you look. So then uh, can you just give us a quick rundown of the store just for people to visualize it as far as, you know, you, you mentioned some of the animals you work with, but what else are you working with? And uh, is it, are you guys doing lots of sales of, you know, products and things like that as well? Yes. So right now at the store, we we run the store in our own way. So the first thing, we only have brand that we believe in. So like we have Zoomed in store and it's the main brand that we have. We have Arcadial, things like that. But for example, I don't have Exoterra in store. Mm. For us, Exoterra and Zoomed were too close in, to product and we preferred Zoomed. And when I bring in a product in store, it's because I know I'm going to advert advertise that product client like tell them this is a good product so that's good for the animals if i don't believe in a product it's not in the store mm. uh, i know some store have product because clients want product but we don't have the space to do that and i feel bad when someone buy a red bulbs yeah. i'm like we had a couple red bulbs because they come into um set that we bought but I feel bad when people bought it. I'm like, it's not good. Take the ceramic if you want to eat at night. So all the product in the Attic, we chose them carefully, making sure that we will be able to tell to people that this how to use them and it's a good thing to use. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have lots of animals that we breed of our own that we sell, but we also buy and trade with other people to offer a larger diversity. Uh, other things that we do are uh, backgrounds. We make our own backgrounds and we have a technique that we are able in between one to three hours to make a full background with bioactive soul and the client can go home with the tank. Wow. Yeah. So who has to do so, that work? You or Joe or any of the other staff? Uh, me and Joe. Okay. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so we do that service. Uh, it's It's a service that you have to pay. Obviously, it's not free but people go home with a setup that is made for their animal with their taste so i think with that people take better care of the animals because i see sometimes enclosure that 
looks like crap. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's like a water dish, food dish. One hides, maybe two if the animal is lucky. One branches, one fake plant. Yeah, a soul that is not keeping humidity or doing anything good at the end. And people lost interest in the animal, I think, when setup looks like this. But when you sell a full setup planted and everything and where the animal go around because they feel safe, because they have coverage and things like that, I think people take better care to the animal. They, they value more that animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just have more pride in, in what they've made. You know, it, it just looks nicer and they can enjoy it more. Yeah, and family getting pets, it's always a concern of mine because it's always a bit for the kids. Right. Even if you say you don't buy an animal for kids, you know that it's for that. So you need to find a way that the parents feel implicated in that process, that it's not just a toy for the kids. I don't feel okay with that. So I make sure that people are ready to like build a proper enclosure, give a proper size enclosure. I actually have some time sole animal in a setup that I thought it was a bit small, but I make sure that they have enough arrangement in that setup, you know, mm -hmm. because you cannot force people to see the same way as you. That's not yes. how it works. And you will not have good results with those people. They will just go by in a regular pet store, a reptile and do bad things. So you are better to meet in the middle than like just be there and I like, if you don't do that, I'm not going to sell you the animal. That That is not working. And I don't think it's like the good way to, to sell and get people into the hobby. Yeah. Well, you want to, you want to work with them. Like you said, like if, if someone comes in with this, with this certain you know frame of mind and you just are completely like belligerent to them and tell them that they're not doing right, the right thing. Like you said, they're just going to go down the street and buy the next animal or you know, go to PetSmart or whatever and do whatever they want anyway. So if you can at least bring them into the fold and teach them, oh, we, this is a better way to do it. And, and hopefully you're kind of start a communication and build a customer base that's yeah. willing to slowly you know, improve over time rather than just yeah, disappearing and never coming back. Everyone were beginning beginner at, at first. And that what I find funny is when I talk with experienced keeper, I don't know for you, Dylan, but... Most of you had reptiles when you were younger in the bad way of owning reptiles. And mm -hmm. many of now nice keepers, nice breeders had like very crappy setup, very bad way to keep animals because pets are, didn't tell them the truth when they, not the truth, but the right things because they didn't know when they were like 10 or 8 trying to get their first reptiles. So those story, I'm like, yeah, but those people, those new people are still like that when they get into the hobby. So what we have to do is find ways to make available the information to them to how properly care for animals. Why to not buy wild cuts? Mm -hmm. why, why do we all started with wild cuts? That's the thing that I'm like, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, my, my first reptile that came in my life was um, Water Dragon. Yeah, so obviously wild caught. Yeah, and it didn't last at all and it was very sad and we were like oh reptile it's like you buy a full equipment you do everything they tell you and the animals still die that was the feeling we got right yeah yeah and there's still a lot of wild caught chinese water dragons if you go if you go into and most yeah, like and pet people stores ask for them they ask for that, wild caught no but for oh, water to, dragons yeah, or yeah, things yeah. like that and then yeah. you explain that they are wild cuts and you try to make them aware of why it's not a good pet for them, but 
at the end, you're not the one making the choice. Yeah. I'm not going to sell that animal because I don't carry that kind of animal in my store when I have wild cuts. That's the thing with exotic addict. When we have wild cuts, it's mostly for breeding project. Mm -hmm. So when we have imports coming, we are like, okay, we do pre-sale. It's pair mostly that we sell if we're able to get pair. Uh, we work with a lot of breeders to try to like establish some species in captivity. We try to help them to have their goals obtained. But I will not bring like crocodile kings to sell one. Why yeah. crocodile kings? You you buy a pair. I'm not gonna sell you one if you don't have the other at home. And if you don't want to breed, I will say that's not the right pet for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to go about it. Is, I mean, yeah, you don't need to be buying wild caught as just a single one-off pet. When, when you, that's when just you, so sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it totally, it totally, and like you said, it kind of a lot of times they don't have, they don't thrive anyway. So it's just an animal that's going to die. If it's somebody that actually wants to breed it, they're going to spend the time like really focusing on their husbandry, making sure that they've done everything you need to do to a wild caught yeah. animal, hydration and whatnot. When when you started keeping, and I, I feel like because you had. You came from the dogs, cats, the horses, like you said, working with mammals more. Did you approach reptile care from a more, what's the word? Like, you know, you know, less clinical, you know, there's a lot of people who keep reptiles, racks, the basic, the, the, the tub, there's nothing in there. Oh, Did that was, seem unnatural to you when you first came yeah, into it? Yeah, I was feeling so bad for these. And that's so funny because... How can I say that? At first, it was very important to me to make nice enclosure. And the first enclosure I made for Itachi, my gargoyle gecko, it was like, I didn't want bio bioactive. I was very afraid of bioactive. I was like, this seemed very complicated. I'm going to buy a lot of stuff, make something nice, make many eyes and things like that. But I was like, bioactive, I don't want to go there. But then... I met Joe and I saw bioactive there and I was like, okay, I want to do it. So I planted the enclosure, do something nice. And then I was like, okay, enrichment works for reptiles. And I noticed things I think people don't always notice when they are not like, because having study animal behavior, like when I put them, I have a magnetic hide for Itachi. And at first, he was not touching it. I, I paid a lot of money for that kind of eyes. And the gargoyle was like, I don't want to do anything with that. But a couple months later, it started to be his favorite spot. Mm -hmm. And then I learned something that I teach the client that, and I applies to every reptile. Reptiles need to be like used to something before using it. Mm. Like, I noticed that a reptile that never saw something, when you put that in their enclosure, they will, like, just not touch it. Like, I, it's very funny. I'm like, it's like they are like, just, I don't touch that. But if you give them times, because sometimes people after one month will just remove the thing and you don't want it, I'm going to take that out. But they need more time to acclimate mm -hmm. to that kind of stuff. So now I know when I make a new enclosure, if the animal is not using it like I would like them to use it, just giving give them times. And times is not two weeks. This is not time for a reptile. Mm -hmm. Time yeah, is yeah, like months. two, three, four months to get used to the new things you put there. Hey there, I'd like to take a quick break from the episode to thank this week's sponsors. We have Exotics Keeper Magazine, which is a herpeticulture-based magazine out of the UK. 
If you live in the UK, you can have the physical magazine delivered to your house on a monthly basis for only a couple of pounds a month. If you happen to live somewhere else in the world, you can sign up for the digital copy of the magazine, which is completely free at this time, which is an incredible opportunity to really sink your teeth into some amazing articles. It is a very well-rounded magazine, including articles on advancing reptile care or just exotic animal care in general, conservation efforts, zoo news. And probably my favorite articles are the ones that are written by people who keep particular species. So you have features on particular species, including their care guide, how to breed them, you know, the nuances of caring for each species. So if you are looking for more information, head to exoticskeeper.com. Again, the digital copy is free, so there's absolutely no reason not to sign up for it. I would also like to take the opportunity to thank Custom Reptile Habitats for sponsoring the show. There is an affiliate link in both the YouTube description and the show notes. If you use that link and purchase something, a commission comes back to me at no extra cost to you, which of course helps support your own animal with a high quality enclosure and helps support the podcast and keep the lights on in this room. Let's jump back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and so did you and Joe have kind of different care styles as you started to become more involved with exotic addicts? Did you, was there things that... Like, did you feel like you wanted to change the way some things were done? And did that cause tension? Yeah, yeah. and that was very funny because I was like, your animal need enrichment. Because, I mean, for cat and dog, I will put lots of things for them to be, like, having something to do. I find it very sad when a home just have a litter box and two balls for the cat, and that's it. For me, it's not a way to have a cat. So you need cat tree, you need toys, you need like the cats need to have his own space and his own thing and to have something to do others than make you trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, you need en- enrichment and online it's still a thing for reptiles. So I was like, you should do that. And then I learned something else. Very important when you're breeding. Um, keeping it clean and easy. Right. Okay, because at Exotic we have staff. It's not always me and Joe. And if I put too much arrangement and the door is not closing easily, this is a risk for a staff to not close a door properly and to have an animal escape. Mm. Um, if I put too much stuff and it, not, it does not get cleaned properly, that's not good for the animals. So I had to learn the proper amount and what is reasonable with the number of animal and not only the number, I mean, just the, they are young animal. When you breed, it's not like fully established animals and you need to keep that to another standard and for a full grown animals, you need to be able to check easily on the animal. Mm-hmm. But between the full setup with leaf, bark, everything, and the rack that is just a water bowl and substrate, you have a whole word between the two. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's. It's not a binary situation, one or the other. So, can, can you, can you just give an ex- example of how, the amount of rich enrichment you might include in a setup that's for breeding? Yeah. The, uh, for I'm going to go with babies and then I'm going to talk about the breeder. Sure. So for a baby, what I want for a baby snake or things like that is for him to be ready for his next home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I know that people will mostly not do racks. I sell to breeders that do racks, but most people going to buy an enclosure for the animal. But I'm still reduced to the tubs we have because the thing you have to know when it's uh, a way that it's a revenue. I don't want to talk about it like like we still make money from our animals, me and Joe, but we don't want to make them like, you know, I mean, like the bad way, like 
just abuse the animal to get money. That's not what we want. But yeah. the thing is, we still have to live from it right now. That's the choice we we have made. So the 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 tub that we already have at Exotic Addict need to be used. I cannot just say to Joe, we change everything. That's those tubs. I don't want them. Mm-hmm. That costs money. That that costs too much money to do that in one or two years. You know. Yes. So what I did is like okay. I thought about my what I got from my my course into animal behavior, and I was like, enrichment is many things, and texture is one of them. So, how many texture can I fit in that box for that animal to discover different texture? So, you have the substrate, you have the size of the bins, and you have the bowl. So, many times I will use a bowl of a different uh, texture than the bin. Mm. Th- that's very simple, but that's still one thing more that the animal can learn, like different than the texture of the bin, because many bins have balls inside of them, like that is fr- it's the like same. a plastic mold, yeah. Yeah, but we use real balls, so sometimes it's ceramic balls. So I find that great that they have another texture to see. Then I try to every animal to have an eye. If they like to have the eyes, because sometimes I can clearly see that the animals that in his tub, the eyes is just a nuisance for them. Mm. Depends on each animals. And then I will try to put them like a piece of leaf, a piece of cork or something like that. But one or two things, not not tens, not like just just them to have something. But just if I open my rack, I need to be able to just lift up the... The eyes and see everything I need to see and mm-hmm. be able to clean that easily and not have to remove 10 things to clean my bin. Right. And so when you say this is to get them ready to move on, are, are you thinking like just to give them a preparation for interacting with different textures or, or what's your thought process with that? It's like cork is mostly used within our client enclosure. So a piece of cork is something I like to put for them. Something mm-hmm. like, because like I said, when you put something new in a reptile enclosure, sometimes they will, don't want to touch it. So I try to use things that they will have in their enclosure. So when they see that, they are like, okay, this is something familiar. Mm. Uh, can I do that for every single animals? I don't know. I don't know if I, but I try the most as I can. And the first priority is still health. Yeah, yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. Like even just like the smell of cork and the feeling of cork. If if you include a, even a small chunk of that in their like little rearing tub, you know when they do experience maybe a large cork background, it's not going to be totally bewildering to them. It, it will be a familiar scent and a familiar texture. Exactly. And the thing is that Joe bring up to me is like some animals are not easy to start to feed. Uh, mostly snakes. I I own snakes right now because people mostly know about my geckos. I own my I have my own snakes, and I see like babies like when they hatch, they don't eat at the same pace. Like the first meal don't happen at the same pace for every snake. So you have to to make that a priority. So make choice for the animal. And sometimes it's not what looks great for us that works the best. But when the animals is eating great and doing great, that's the time to like, okay, what can I do for that animal? But you see, uh, right now at Exotic Addict, we are maybe thinking about selling some breeder to not breed like two common species. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like things that you constantly see, you want to maybe uh, not breed those so you're not adding yeah, to that we, market. Yeah, we were doing our own corn snake and we have so many like corn breeder that we like a lot that we can buy from. 
that I'm like, honestly, like caring for all those baby corn snakes to sell them, like, because you produce an amount and then you sell that over the year and that works, but you still have to take care of the animal for that whole year. And I'm like, that's a lot of work. But Joe, Joe is a breeder and he wanted to breed. So like Exotic Addict was started as Joe was seeing it for himself. But now that I am into it, we are seeing it differently. And just as well as having a life outside of the store, like we have to achieve that now because he is not a bachelor anymore. So we have to think about <laughs> couple time, couple time and things like that. And he can't just together, breed snakes all day. Yeah, I mean... Working together doesn't count as time together. I I don't think no. so. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, that, and that adds a challenge to a relationship. Obviously, running a business together. So yeah, you certainly want time away from that as a couple. And um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, I had two questions. One was you were going to talk about how the breeders' environment was. You know, we can yeah. talk about that as well. But you know, as you came into the business and you maybe started adding some textures and a little bits of enrichment here and there into the the tubs, how, how did Joe respond to it? Like, was he open to that, or or how was that discussion? Okay, what's funny because we we talked about that I think two weeks ago, me and Joe, because we were thinking about the time where I was working for him but not with him, and right. that's funny because I think I'm the I'm one of the person that I've challenged Joe the more the most over the years, even in his in his old business. I I'm a challenging person, but I'm polite, so that's hard on people because normally, when people doesn't agree with you, they will push, but not in a nice way. But I'm pushy, but I'm nice and polite. So Joe was like, "This was hard for me to just shut you down when you were coming with all your IDs because you were still like." working well, good employee, telling me nicely the things like, so he was like, okay, we're going to try some of your things because you make your point. Mm-hmm. And I noticed when we became a couple, I was less nice because I was more <laughs> close to him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he was less open to my things. I was like, hmm, that's strange. I thought it will be the contrary. And then I adapt. I was like, okay. And eventually, like, Joe, Joe won the best for his animals and Joe very loves reptile. Like you should see him with set is BCI. He have his personal BCI and like just the love that he have for her and how he, he take her out the enclosure. He takes her in your, his arms and cuddle with the snakes and like be like, look at my snakes, how pretty it is. And he do that a lot with his frogs too. Like he called me every night to go up front his enclosure to look at his frogs. I'm like, yeah, Joe, I saw the frogs. I, I live with them. But look, they, they, they do that. And look, I put that new branch and they are on the new branch. And I'm like, well, that's nice. But I was doing something. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> enjoy your frog. So, you know, like when the, the only reason why Joe was doing the thing he was doing is like, that's all thing were done and that's what yeah. he knew and new ideas don't afraid you like he likes that he likes to learn new thing for his animal i think at first the the main problem was like my amount of experience versus is but he learned that when i say something it's because i have done research and i'm just i'm not just doing like yeah we should do that and i don't know if it's good for the animal i don't do I don't suggesting if I don't know if it's good for the animal or if I don't know if it's have done been done before. 
Mm-hmm. Or if it's a completely new idea that I very don't know, like the result of that idea, I will tell it to do like, hey, I think about a thing. What do you think about it? Because I never saw that, but I don't know why it never has been done. So, sure. yeah. Well, and I think that's such a good point that you had made. I think even when we were DMing at some point, um, you had sent me a message. It's just because the two sides become very, it becomes very contentious between, you know, we have these people that think it needs to be, this is how you need to care for your animals to care for them well. And then you have the more old school people. And so obviously there's the divide. And I think two things I learned from you. One is being nice actually is probably the best thing as far as, you know, helping somebody move forward towards progressing their care. Because if you're not nice, which is what happens online all the time, most people are, are quite mean, you don't make a change. So if you're actually wanting to help that animal change, then you have, have to you be nice. Have you on Facebook group lately? Because those are terrible. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's it's almost like if, if that's the way you're trying to help someone, then you're probably not going to help them to begin with. But the other yeah. thing is, and I think sometimes we forget this, is even if we're looking at somebody whose care style is not what we would think is up to standard, it's easy to forget that those people actually most of the time really love their animals and they actually want what's best for their animals. And sometimes yeah. they just didn't come across the right information or haven't been exposed to it. But we almost demonize them in a way where they must hate their animals. Well, no, actually, they actually want their animals to thrive and, and do well. Mm-hmm. And if you approach it in the right way, like you did with Joe, it's actually quite, they, they, they'd be re- yeah, re- and receptive honestly, to honestly, like, I just want to make it clear, Joe helped me more than the the contrary you know yes yeah yeah, yeah. i mean joe have way more experience than me so mostly of what i know is joe that have teach me that and i mean joe is taking great care of his animals and he is very good to keep a good um weight on his animals Mm -hmm. that's something he teach me that i'm like because we tend to have fat or skinny animal in the hobby Mm. i rarely see animal at a nice weight in the hobby like it's it's a hard thing to aim for like having an animal that is healthy in weights and joe is good for that like every animals have a nice weight and he even think like okay this is a breeder i'm gonna feed that way because it's gonna be unpairing and eating less so now i'm gonna feed more get a bit of fat so like that when they lose weight after breeding they will be at a healthy weight so even our females after laying keep a nice weight normally. And and that comes from experience, right? That's just having an eye for things, being able to see what an animal looks like, understanding what that prey item is going to do to that animal. And yeah. that, that's why the partnership works well, right? You have so yeah, much experience. Yeah, and that's prevention too, like working mm-hmm. like do work in the way that that's going to happen. So I'm going to act before, like the female going to lose weights after laying eggs. So I'm going to make sure before that you have a bit overweight to make sure after she lays, she have less consequences on her. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And, and so what about, you were, you were talking about the, the, the tubs and how you're incorporating some enrichment. What about for the animals that you're breeding? Are, are there ways that you've incorporated enrichment yeah. into their setups? Uh, yes, I did. But I mean, I don't I don't like do that to every tub necessarily. I, I let Joe do and right now Joe does it by himself. Mm. mostly mm-hmm. like when i open tubs now they have corks they have some branch they have some leaf and that's funny because sometimes you will tell me oh that animal prefer that thing than that thing and our animals all have names so that's very cute mm-hmm. like mitski is my favorite snake at the store and mitski have 
things in his tub that I choose for Mitski, but some tubs are Joe, the animal that Joe loves a lot. And Joe like, because when you like an animal, you open their tub very frequently, you know? That's yeah. just a thing. And we have to accept that. We have favorites. I cannot say that every snake, we, we love them equals. And I think it's just normal. So when we love an animal a lot, we open the tubs a lot. But with those animals that we take special care of, because those animals... I'm in Mitski. I sometimes just clean his thing because I'm not supposed to clean at Exotic Attic right now. It's not my job. But for Mitski, when I open the tub and take have time with him, I'm like, oh, I'm going to clean that. It's a bit dirty. So I can put more stuff in his tub because I know I'm going to be the one taken care of. But the mm-hmm. one that I'm not opening as frequently, I have to be upstander for the staff. But doing that for a favorite snake make us uh, learn about what is a good thing to put in their tub and what is not. Yeah, exactly. So what then species we can is choose... he just, by the way? Hmm? What species is, is uh, this thing? It's a scaleless black rat snake, a Lucy one. Okay, cool. But I have three scaleless uh, black rat at home of my own, my trio that I'm going to breed eventually. And at first I wanted Mitski, but Joe didn't sell Mitski to me, so I had to find my homes. So, yeah. <laughs> That's very... I offered to do lots of money for that snake. And he said no. He said no. I was very sad, but I mean, it is... I cannot... Because Joe is like, Mary, you cannot just buy my animals and bring them to our home. That, that's not logical. You already have them. They are at our yeah. store. Like, buy your own and make something new. Stop trying to bring the animal of the shop home. I did that a lot when I had my own apartment and Joe had his apartment, his home. I was like taking animal of the the store and bringing them in my own apartment just to have them with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just so you can kind of keep them and, and it's you know not buying them, but you can at least try caring for them. Yeah, I just had fun to say to you like, oh, can I have that snake at home? It's a keeper. You are making him grow, so I'm gonna take care of it for the time that is not ready to breed. And it was like okay, but you cannot keep it. That's not a way to seal my snakes. You know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as with, with working with the scaleless rats, do you ever, like, do you have an ethical issue with working with those? Or, you know, some people are, are don't, don't think they shouldn't be kept or shouldn't be bred. What's your thoughts there? I think they are LT animals. Like, um, I don't see a problem. It's not like the ball python that are scaleless that have no belly scales. Mm-hmm. This is something else. I mean, my my rat snake, they move normally. They have enclosure with the same cork, leaf, and same things I use in all my enclosure. Never been hurt or something. They eat normally. They poop normally. They mm-hmm. shed normally. So I'm like, why? I don't mind modifying the look of an animal with genetic. And the genetics need to already be in the species. It's not made into labs. It's naturally in the animal. Um, so I don't see the problem. I think sometimes in reptiles, people are very um, conservative. Mm. I don't like losing the original morph and form of the animal. I think it's important to keep that too. But if you don't do that by... When you do a morph, it's going to be some inbreeding involved. I'm aware of that. I'm not like, because sometimes people are like, oh, I'm against inbreeding. And then you look at their animal and it's all morph animals. I'm like, yeah. that doesn't work like that. But you can reduce the inbreeding because right now I have the choice to buy my next rat snake from 
Canada or take them in the state to make sure to have another lineage. You know, I, I can take my money, make more money to make sure to not have uh, asthmas in breeding. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so, you know, when you're working with these, when you guys are breeding the snakes and you're working with the young ones especially and you're sort of introducing them to different textures and, and enrichment and whatnot, when people buy those snakes, are they, I, I think you already mentioned, but I imagine most of them are going home with an enclosure or have an enclosure at home. They're not going home into a, a, a breeding, well, maybe, you know, breeders would, but they're not going home into a tub set up for the most part. And are they the their animal the snakes themselves are having success? Like, do you guys have lots of people having issues with them, or or you know they the, they eat well and shed well? The the only species that when I sell, I'm always like they are not necessarily gonna necessarily gonna eat well are the ball pythons. Mm. Right. Um, okay. I'm I'm not too much into ball pythons. I don't um like. Nice pets, ball pythons. That's great. It's a snake. They're pretty good. But I don't know. Starting the baby is a pain. When I feed the rack python, the rack ball python with the the tongue and the the the, the frozen tud stuff, I'm like, it takes me so much time just to get them to eat, and I work so hard to switch them to the unfroze so the um. They naturally eat lives and they like yeah, to yeah. eat lives and like I make lots of works and then I sell them and sometimes they don't accept their frozen things. They want lives and then you have to sit to the clients like now you have to go on lives for the health of the animal. So it's the only species that I will say um, I choose family that are ready for that. But yes, mostly yeah. they eventually eat wells, even the ball pythons in their new enclosure. And if they put enough stuff for them to be able to hide, that's better too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm curious, you know, because you, you live a life now where your income is solely related to reptiles, your job is reptiles. What What is that like? Because there's lots of people that are listening that would have a dream of wanting to either, whether it's working at a store or owning a store or being a breeder or doing reptiles in some capacity, what is it like to wake up every day to to know that it's just a reptile day? Like, does it, does it is it starting to feel like work, work, or are you still enjoying it to the point where it's fun? That's a good question. That's a. Can we just come back to the other subject before I I was oh, sure. finished on them? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. told about about the bald python, which were the the downside of it a bit, but mm. I want to oh, yes, talk yeah, yeah. about the species that do great too. Yes, yeah, yeah. Please, are... please, please, please. So I have something in mind. I sold, I think some people will have problem with what I did because my goal is for the animal to, at the end of thing, to have the right enclosure. So if a client buy an animal and say to me, I'm ready to put the money to buy the full adult size enclosure, even if it's a baby of the year, I'm going to go with it. Mm -hmm. I know that not everyone agree with that, but I found out that when you do that, that person make me do the background of her is a 36 by 18 by 18. I sold that for a baby corn snake. And it was a tiny snake, big big as my pinky for the, the size. And I sold it with that. And the, the person, the animal fed at the first meal. They were enjoying the enclosure. It was hiding a bit more than what they were expecting. But that's for me just normal for a snake that is in a new enclosure. Sure. And I like that to be able to sell a setup that I'm like, if the animals end up all his life in that setup, I don't feel sad. It's it's acceptable. It's nice. 
I make the eyes in the background thinking of the size of the animal when it will be adult and thinking to not let cracks for when it's a baby for him to eyes into it. But like I can do an enclosure that's going to be nice for the animal its whole life and the animal can start in that. And like that, the clients have to buy one thing. And I'm sure that the animals don't end up to live all his life in this little 20 gallon because a person never like upgraded the animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh that that's a good way to go about it. I mean, if you have someone that's willing to commit that much financially, you know, you want to support them in that and do everything they can to make sure they have success. And like you said, if they for some reason can't upgrade or they you know that that's as big as the enclosure is ever going to get, that's a lot better than just you know the, the the starter kit that they never moved off of. Yeah, and baby adapt well to bigger enclosure. Like people think they do not, but you have to like put eyes for their size. Like, don't put the full adult eyes. That obviously not going to work. You have to put more eyes since it's longer and things like that. But if you put enough stuff, nature is large. I mean, nature is not limited. So I don't see why snake cannot thrive in bigger enclosure. Yeah, but you're right. The hide has to be small enough so it actually feels like a hide and not just another part of the enclosure. Yeah, and the thing is, as a breeder, you have to make sure you set an animal that is ready to be sold. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, what, but when we sold you your rat snake, it was not quite ready when we wanted to ship it. And yes, we yeah. make you wait. And that's something we do. If the animal is not ready, I'm going to make the customer wait for the animal. I'm not going to sell the animal if I'm not sure it's going to go well at home. Yes. Yeah, you did. You said, yeah, we were, we we're going to ship it. And then it was like, no, we're going to wait another two weeks. And I said, okay, that's fine. Yeah. It's, and then I think and that was the right call. We lose clients because of that, but I mean, clients that know why we do it and appreciate it, they, they talk about us and we get more customers. So I don't mind losing a customer because they don't understand what we do for their well, their well-being of the animal. Yeah. Is there a, a certain group of uh, species that are most popular that, that you're selling? I'm sure it's ball python and corn snakes, but... Are, but you also work with quite a lot. Like when I see your table at the yeah. expos, there's quite a you know a variety of things. Um, I will say for the, the snakes or um, Central American BCI, we do leopards and uh, ipo bloods, that kind of morph. They mm. stay smaller than the regular BCI. I mean, one of our male is like four feet yeah, yeah. Big like that. And it's like a six years old male. So it's very small for a BCI. And those sell very well because they have great personality. They eat great. Um, when you explain the difference between a boa and a ball python, people will buy the boa. Mm. And I own personally couples of boa and I like them a lot. And I think they are most more suited to pet life. Like if you want to free room your BCI to make them go around, come to you, etc., they will. You can let them go back in their enclosure, and they're gonna heat. Yes. Like my BCI, I I take them with me here. I will handle them, let them go around, put them in the enclosure, and they will accept food. For me, that's a proof that it's not stressful for them to live that pet life. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, they eat all the time. And the, the best part about letting them out and free roam is they're very slow-moving snakes. So it's not like I'll let mine roam around my basement all the time, and I just set myself a timer so I remember to go check up on her. But <laughs> it's not like uh, you know a colubrid that's going to dart off into a vent or something and you'll never see it again. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're so slow. Like there's, I, don't, I don't think they can even move fast if they want to. So it's a perfect – you're right. It, it is a very good species for to, to, to be a pet. Yeah, sometimes I call them kitty snake. Joe doesn't like that because he said to me that gives the wrong idea of the animal. But I'm like, still, like, I can have them cuddle of, on my laps. I can, like, handle them. And I don't see, because I think that I'm big about into reptile care is the handling. Because many people are against handling the animal too much. But I have learned in my zoo um, era that... Animals that live with humans needs to be used to humans and not stressed by humans. Mm. So for me, a reptile that you put your hands into the enclosure and they are so afraid, that's not a great life. I'm going to put my hand into your enclosure and sometime I'm going to pick you up to make sure you are healthy and maybe even bring you to the vet. So if my animals cannot handle that without leaving a big pick of stress, uh, they will not be happy captive animals. Mm -hmm. So I try to make people aware of being able to handle like in a respectful way their animal, but still make them used to the thing they have to know. It's like when I have a client that have a dog that needs grooming, I'm like, you're going to get your dog used to the dryer. You're going to make your dog used to the bath because he's going to have to face that eventually. And you want to do that. Uh, gradually and slowly and do like training with it and not just put it in a bat and get the animal so afraid so i think it's the same for a reptile mm. like it's it's not okay to take a reptile in your hands and like force them to stand still when you have to do like i don't know they have stuck shed they have something going on it's nice when they just sit there and let their themselves like taken care of and i know it's easier with some species but even with flighty species, you can work with them. Mm. Uh, I was able to make my male felsuma enter a container when I wanted to switch him enclosure. That's like pretty Felsuma grandis <laughs> yeah. are not indelible, but I was able sometimes even to make him go on my hands and switch him of enclosure without grabbing him, risking um, skin slides. Um, so, yeah, I think we have to be aware of the pets we are choosing. And be aware of, am I, am I able to give them a nice life in captivity without being always afraid of me? Yeah, yeah. I know some people that even, uh, like Lori Torini will do, if, if she has a, a snake that she knows needs to be going to the vet in a month or something, she'll do some handling, but then also even simulate like an injection, not actually put a needle in the animal, but simulate what that might, you know, being held down and having something, you know, a, 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 an object touch the snake's body, like, you know, maybe it's a pen or whatever it is. She's not actually doing veter veterinary work at home as a simulation, but just trying to mimic some of what that animal might experience. And if you, you that's know, called medical that training. Yeah. That's called medical training. And we do that with most of mammals. Okay. So there's actual, yeah. So then it carries over, right? We, we, that's where we kind of see that separation. Well, we do it for mammals, but why, why wouldn't we do it for reptiles? Yeah. And it's funny because in Facebook groups, if you post a picture of handling an animal that is not meant to be handling, people scream to like 
I will not say abuse, but something softer, but similar to it, because I don't have all the words in English. But like, I'm like, okay, but you don't have the information. Maybe that animal was just pick up for a picture, pick up for health check. I mean, I, I don't mind someone that pick up an animal to check it. Uh, it's not a toy. I'm, I'm aware that my animals don't exist for my engine enjoyment, but like they need to be able to be handled. And when I sell animals, I will ask people, how much do you want to handle that animal? How much is it important to you? And then fit them with an animal that will be happy with that, like that they will balance with each other. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, that 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 uh, all that makes perfect sense, and I think yeah, you you don't you don't need animals going to homes where people are wanting to hold them, but they don't want to spend the time to actually habituate to them. You know, they're just once every six weeks going to reach their hand in and yank the animal out. It's it's not a it's not a good system. So, um, can we get back to the question about uh, yeah. just the, your work? How, how does it feel? Do you feel is it is it is it fun still, or does it start to feel like work or? Because you know, I'm like I said, yeah. there's going to be people listening to this that would be very envious of you. I mean, that's funny because if you have asked that to me last year, I will say to you, this is amazing. Reptile all day uh, with my boyfriend. All we talk about is reptile. When you do, we do an activity reptile related, I was like very happy about it. I was like, this is like fantastic. And now I'm like... This is still fantastic, but now I realize that I let some part of me go to that that many place to reptile. I let something that I like like it to do go just because I was so focused on it. And I mean, it's still fun. I still like going to work to exotic addict, but the thing is, working at exotic addict is not just enjoying the animals. It's many things. It's still real work uh, i still have to to do like some things that are not reptile related and sometimes i have tasks that i don't want to do because when you go at work you don't only do the things you want to do mm-hmm. and uh that makes me a lot like when i come back to home and ask to take care of my own animals that is a bit harder right now to like go into my reptile room and be like okay there we go again so I will say to people that wants to do that, that it's a lifestyle. It's not like just w- when you have a patient and you make it into work, you will enjoy your work more, but you enjoy your patient less. It's like it's going to meet in the middle of all that. And you have to see if it is something for you. And in my case, um, it's I make less money than what I was supposed to do into my own field that is marketing. And I make that choice. But sometimes I'm like, I want nice things. Like mm-hmm. I want that thing. But do I have the money for that right now? Do we have make enough sales for me to afford that thing? Like I have to ask myself more questions about my finances than if I had a regular nine to five job. So you have to wonder about that. Because when you work into reptile, um, if you are working for someone, that's great. You're going to have a salary that is stable and everything, but it's not going to be a big salary like animal industry. I never saw an animal industry job that was big pay. I don't know for you. I don't know if in your podcast, if you meet people that are working in the animal industry and making money is easy, but I feel like it's a field where you know that it's harder to make a big salary out of it. 
And for my part, I'm a part, um, how do I say that? Travailleur autonome. Um, because part of my money come from kind of a reptile too, like myself that hmm. I do there. Yes. And yeah. I, I have a salary at Exotic but I'm on commission because with Joe, we defined that was the best way to pay me the value of my work. Sure. And still be affordable for the shop because I'm not owner of Exotic Attic, uh, contrary of what people can think. Me and Joe likes to keep things still separate. We've been together as a couple for soon two years, so we are still a young couple. Yeah. So we want to have our own things. So I will say, if you want to work in the animal field, reptile or not, be ready to work or hard to work long hours. And if you want to have money to buy nice animals and nice enclosure, that's maybe not the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is good to see kind of that side because you're right. You do get to work with animals. And you have this opportunity, but you do sacrifice a lot. And, and that doesn't even go into, you know, like bouncing expos and setting up and tearing down. And I know, you know, that's a lot of work as well. Like you, you yeah. both leave the store to, to go to Toronto for the weekend. You know, someone's got to manage the store. Or someone's got to care Six for those animals. Is that how long the drive is? Six hours, yeah. Six hours, yeah. So that's quite a haul. How, how often are you doing the, the expos? Okay, so we were doing every expo for a bit. And Which then is like once a month, were, basically. Yeah, and me and Joe were just so tired. So like, we were starting to to die from the inside, you know, like it was just restless. And I was like, this is crazy because I like the hypes of the expo. I'm a girl that lives by, like, I like to feel the adrenaline. I like like events and things like that. So I was like, yeah, expo are fantastic. Again, that, that thing that like when you start something, everything is so nice. But then I was like, when we come back to the store, it's like, oh my God, we have so much work. We have so many things to attend, to see with the staff. And like, it was crazy. And even like with our personal animals, I was, I'm paying some to, someone to take care of my animal when I'm at the expo. So the cost of, every, of the staff at the store, the staff at home to take care of the animal, the 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 gas money, the, the hotel room, everything, it's very costly. And uh, me and Joe are lucky because we do always great at Expo. People like our table, we do nice sales. So that's every time it's worth it for us. But for the lifestyle, I'm like, we need to slow down. We need to take time for ourselves. And that's this year, that's what I learned. Last year, I learned to enjoy uh, the hobby. I learned how magical it was to like, at the expo, everyone is so nice. Uh, it's so cool to talk with people with a similar lifestyle that you have, to be able to just talk reptile and not look weird, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. I can totally relate. So it's it's very a lot of fun. And then you go out with friends at night after the expo and everything. But when I was coming back to reality, I was like, no, no, that's too much for me. I just... I'm just want to I just want to crumble right now like I just don't want to like see all the work that I have to do so me and Joe right now we are taking it slowly for the expos I don't know how many we will do but we will be more careful when we decide to do one right now yeah and and that's the another thing that people 
it's obvious, but also it's sometimes the obvious things are easy to miss is when you're working with a business that deals with live animals, it's not like we said, I think before we started recording, I mean, I said, did you enjoy your Christmas break? And you said, I enjoyed Christmas, but there was no break because, you know, obviously you can't, even if the store isn't open, you still have to care for the animals that are there and maybe there's a day off, but, but really it's just, it's when you're feeding and having to clean up after animals, it's a full-time thing regardless yeah. of your actual work and day. Even when you have staff, you need to make yourself available to your staff. So even on breaks, uh, if they want to call you to like um, ask a question, I like to answer my phone and respond to that. Because if I don't, next time they will do what they think is right. And maybe I will not be happy with what they choose to do because they don't have the experiences and whatever the reason. So... I always make myself available to the staff when I can. So even on my day off, I'm available. Yes. So if you want to do a reptile business full-time, you really need to make sure you have a, a deep passion for it, but also understand that the sacrifice is pretty significant. Yeah, but I think like, and the thing is, the people you chose to work with are very important too. Right. Uh, me and Joe, we made uh, quite a nice group of people at the store. Like we have lots of customers that came in, we hang out with, we have fun at the end of the day. Uh, they help us a bit at the clothes and everything. We go to a restaurant all together, talk reptile and everything. So we made our own crew and I like that. And now it's like, cool because I can balance friends with reptiles, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, like yeah. if you want to work in the hobby, make sure to work with the people that you feel great with and to like choose um, what's the best for you. Are you a breeder? Are you a seller? Are you a keeper? Like what, what do you like about reptile? Because the job you will find into the hobby is not necessarily what you want to do with reptile and you have to think about that. Yeah, like I, I like. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'll just say no. I think that's really good advice because you can kind of get roped into things without realizing it. Well, actually, this is not what I really enjoy about reptiles. You know, whether it's who knows. You know, there's a million different things. You see a lot of people get into breeding and then they don't like the business side. They don't like interacting with people, which is sort mm -hmm. of well, you know, that's that's a big problem if you don't want to interact with people and you want to sell things to people. It's going to be hard to run a business. And that's why you need partner and choose the right partners to do that kind of thing. And right now with Joe, that, that's what we're going to do. I like to do social media. I like to talk with people. I like to advertise. I like those kinds of things. And now I was not doing it enough for the store because I was busy with other things. So we did uh, reshare the task to make sure that we are working on our strength and not working just to work, just to make sure the job is done because when we do that like joe is not doing what he like i'm not doing what i like because i'm good with the staff and i train the staff a lot in the breeding facility but if i do that it's like i'm working in a breeding facility not on the marketing and sales side and that's not what i'm the greatest at I i'm good at it but i mean i cannot do everything and that's what we are starting to figure out me and joe mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Marie, this was a great conversation. Is there anything that you wanted to say before we wrap up? I think we covered oh. kind of most of the things we wanted to talk about. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah, so. so. If, if um, you have, 
do you have anything? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> no, no, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just gonna say, can you let everybody know where where they can find everything online as far as Instagram, anything else? Yes. Yeah, so Instagram, you have Connor Reptiles uh, that you can go see what I do. You have Exotic Attic uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, and you have the website uh, exoticaddict.com uh, that you can go. And if anybody's looking for an animal from either of the two businesses, they can just reach out and uh, go from there. Yeah, and I will always advise you can go on this website, but it's hard to stay up to date. And we can have other animals that are not listed, but we have friends that breed and everything. So always write to us. It's easier. Um, you will have much more info. You will talk to a person. Then just look at the website. So, so to to wrap up, as far as you know, future projects, where are things going? Do you have some some ideas of? Uh, is your focus just on exotic addicts and, and corner reptiles, or you have some other things in in the works? Yes. Yeah, so, like I said, like I want to go a bit more into filming and it's getting people for the reptile part. But I realized that I let a lot of me go into the reptiles, and having my new horse into my life make me realize that I want to work with other animals. So I started to offer a reinforcement, positive reinforcement training for animal owner. So right now I'm training mostly horses, but I'm training dogs too. And sometimes I have trained cats in the past. So I offer that service at home or at the stable where my horses. So that's a very nice project. And that gives me the chance to reconnect with a part of me. Oh, yeah. Well, see, that's kind of nice. Then you can kind of start... Because, I mean, as we learned at the beginning of the episode, you're an animal person at heart. So sometimes it's yeah. nice to, you know, diversify it a little bit and start working with some other animals and other types of animals. Do and, you? And clicker training is good for lots of animals. Well, it's, and like you said, it's the same kind of foundational learning as far as it doesn't really matter what animal you're working yeah. with, right? It, the learning is similar. Do you do you have an Instagram page or anything for that or do you just do that on, on your own? Uh, eventually I will. For right now, it's uh, publicized on Domaine de l'Alza. That's the stable where I offer my service mostly. So for now it's there, but I'm going to open a new page, but that's still under working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in between everything else, when you have time, you can start that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make time because I learned that you need to make times to the things that uh, make you feel good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Marie, thank you so much. Thank you for doing a great job just with the business. And it's always great to see you guys at the expo. And thank you for breeding such a beautiful rat snake for me. He's still doing fantastic. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks to you to invite me. All right. That is the end of that episode. Marie, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'll thank Joe as well. Joe, thanks for breeding. You know, I, I've been absolutely loving my Japanese rat snake. So thank you for, for working with that species and giving me the opportunity to, to purchase one and looking forward to seeing you both at the next Canadian Reptile Breeder Expo. I hope, I assume I'll be there, but we'll see. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you did enjoy it, the best thing you can do is just share it or give a rating and a review on Spotify and or Apple, depending on where you're listening to it or throw, drop a comment down in the YouTube section to, to be part of the conversation. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do that over at patreon.com slash animals at home. For as little as 70 cents a month or so, you will be helping support 70 cents a episode a month. 
You'll help support the podcast, which really does go a long way to help me continue to produce the show. It's a lot of work and takes a lot of money to run the podcast. And every single dollar that comes to me is so greatly appreciated. I can't even begin to thank you guys enough. So thank you if you're already our Patreon member. Or you can also check out Custom Reptile Habitats, which is the sponsor of the podcast. There are affiliate links in both the YouTube description or the show notes. So if you use one of those links and make a purchase, a commission comes back to me at absolutely no extra cost to you, which of course helps me support the show as well. And I think that is it for this one. I will catch everybody in the next episode.